Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Take out your Bibles, turn over to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Now, it is Valentine's Day, and uh, some of you may not have a Valentine today. If you don't, I'm going to... What is the deal here? I'm going to help you out a little bit, for I have found the best Christian pickup lines, okay? So if you're at church and you want to pick somebody up today... Here are some good Christian pickup lines. Some are gender neutral. Some are for women. Some are for men. Some, of course, have been said to me. I'll point those out when when they have been. Uh, Here's one. So last night I was reading in the book of Numbers and realized I don't have yours. Uh, Okay, so you can use that when you're at church. That might well. Here's one that's been said to me many a time. You put the stud in Bible study. And uh, so there's a... I know why Solomon had 700 wives. He never met you. Uh, I'm no Joseph, but I dream about you every night. Is your name Faith? Because you're the substance of everything I've hoped for. I never believed in predestination until you walked into the room. Is it a sin that you stole my heart? Uh, Y'all want to write some of these down. You might need them later. (laughs) Now, here's one if you're really desperate. Could I have your name and number to add to my prayer list? (laughs) And then finally, I'm not a prophet, but I can sure see us being together. And so those are some good Christian pickup lines that you might want to read as uh, use as we go into this Valentine's Day. And it may surprise some people to know the very first thing we're going to look at, and that is this. God created, God designed, and God intended for humans to be attracted to one another, for to have romance, and for sex. God created, designed, and had a design for all of those different things. Now, for centuries, that's not what was taught in the Christian church. For centuries, the exact opposite was taught. Uh, Romance uh, is a silly thing. Sex is a dirty thing. You're not to think about it. You're not to talk about it. Part of the problem came that a lot of the Christian views from sex came from St. Augustine. And St. Augustine had a lot of issues in that area. Uh, When he first became a priest and found he had to be celibate, he prayed the prayer, Lord, give me celibacy. Just not yet. And so he always struggled with that. Uh, that was there. And so that kind of kind of made the view of sex a little bit different that Christians adopted. And so through the years, sex was something Christians didn't think about, didn't talk about. It was considered something bad, something dirty. And that may be even the way you were brought up and raised. But the truth of the matter is the Bible is not bashful when it comes to sex at all. As a matter of fact, there is an entire book of the Bible, Song of Solomon, that is simply about sex and is about as graphic as you can get. As a matter of fact, you had to be 30 years old in the Jewish tradition to even read the book of Song of Solomon. Because you consider it was just too racy before then. So... This group over here, you can't read Song of Solomon, all right? It's it. You also had to be 30 to read Ezekiel. That's just because it was so weird that nobody could understand it. But, but that was for an entirely different reason. 
But God created and designed human attraction, human romance, and sex. Look down at Genesis chapter 1 again. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move upon the ground. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So in verse 26, what we're told is that the crowning act of God's creation is the creation of human beings. And what makes them so special is that that human beings are created in the very image of God himself. But not only are they created in the image of God, we're told in verse 27 that he created mankind, but he created them gender specific. He created male and he created female and together they were both in the image of God. And so what we have here is God at the very beginning putting together the differences in gender, the differences in people, the attraction that people have. It was God's plan from the beginning. Man is going to be both male and female for the specific design that God had. So with that is the case, then God is the creator and the designer of romance, uh, of love and of sex. So that then brings up a very simple question. Then why would God want it that way? Why did God create sex in the first place? There's three very simple reasons that God created sex. We're going to take them in descending order. What I believe is the least important down to the most important. And the first reason God created sex was for procreation. That's a big word. It simply means to have babies. Okay. That's why God created sex. Look at verse 28. Then God said, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, where are we here? Oh, verse 28, yeah. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. So we're told this at the end of verse 27. He created them male and female. Then the very next words after he created them male and female is, he blessed them. And then after saying he blessed them, he said, go be fruitful and multiply the earth. Now, how are you fruitful and multiply the earth? You're fruitful and multiply the earth by having babies. How do you have babies? You have sex. So God created sex at the very beginning. And one of the reasons was for the population of the earth. It was for having babies. It was for procreation. But we're told at the beginning of verse 28, God blessed them and said, go do this. So quite the opposite of Christian history, which says sex is dirty, don't think about it. We're told here God made them male and female, blessed them, and then said, go be fruitful and multiply. So one of the reasons we were supposed to have sex is to have babies. A second reason God created sex, and this may surprise some of you, was for pleasure. For pleasure. Now, that's something you would have never heard in the church in years past, that the reason that God created sex was to have pleasure, but it's absolutely the case. Sex is supposed to be good, enjoyable. It was supposed to be something that brings people together. Listen to Proverbs 30, verse 19. I'm sorry, uh, Proverbs 5, 18 and 19. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice always in the wife of your youth. She is a lovely deer and a graceful doe. Isn't that sweet? May you always rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving deer, a graceful doe. The Bible is so sweet, but it doesn't end there. Then he says, 
Let her breast satisfy you at all times with great delight. May you be drunk in her love. What? That's in the Bible? Yes, it is. Because one of the reasons God created sex was to, for, for pleasure between a married couple, between this man and this woman. And we're told it's to be great delight. You're to be intoxicated by her love. So to have babies for pleasure. Now, the number one reason I believe God created sex and the one that we generally leave out more than anything else is that God created sex for expressing love and oneness, for expressing love and oneness. Look over Genesis chapter two, the very next chapter, Genesis chapter two, look down to verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So when God created Adam, he said, it's not good for Adam to be alone. I'm going to make someone suitable for him. That Hebrew word that's used for suitable means alike, but different. Isn't that kind of a a strange word? Alike, but different. And so that's when he created Eve, someone that was like him, but different than him, a compliment to him that together they became the full image of God and keep reading down to uh, uh, the end of verse two. Uh, Verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. For Adam, no suitable helpmate was found. The Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with the flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. She was taken out of the man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother... Be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and yet knew no shame. So one of the main purposes of sex is that these people come together, these compliments to one another, these helpers for one another in an act of oneness and sharing that goes beyond anything that love or romance has had. And they truly become one When this happens and there's no shame in any of this, we're told that in the last verse, they were both naked and there was no shame. Shame comes from sin. It doesn't come from God's good desire for love, romance, the attraction that we have and for sex. So those are the reasons God invented sex to have babies for pleasure, for expressing true love and true oneness in a couple. Now, As I said, the shame came through sin, not through God's ideal. And that brings us to the second thing that we see. Like a lot of good things of God, sex can be abused. Anything that can be used for good can also be used for evil. I can use a, uh, uh, write a movie or show a book or a song that is uplifting and positive and, and points you in the right direction. Or I can take those same things and make something evil about it. God gave us food to, to be nutritious and to help us with our Bibles, bodies. But I can use food then to, to uh, uh, gorge myself and overeat, or I cannot eat at all and, uh, and become anorexic. So we can either abuse the good things of God, or we can use the good things of God for a positive way. Sex is the same way. Sex can be used in a very positive way, love and romance, or it can be used in a very negative way. 
In the positive way, sex is the outgrowth of love and romance and the commitment of a couple to one another. In the negative way, sex can be used simply to fulfill one's needs and you have things like human trafficking. It's believed in the United States today there are over 20,000 women who are being trafficked, who are basically sex slaves. Uh, 20,000. Recently in New Jersey, uh, a sex ring was busted and 170 children were freed from this sex ring uh, in New Jersey. So that's the the opposite of, of, of a positive love that God has is the abuse of the good thing that God has set forward. So sex can either be used for the good when it's put in God's parameters or it can be used for evil. So we're going to briefly look at four different ways that sex can be used for good, that God intended it, and the way that sometimes we turn it to be evil. So we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. We looked at that just a second ago, so turn over to that, uh, if you will. The book of Proverbs chapter 5. And the first thing that we see uh, is this. Sex should be the outgrowth of a loving, intimate relationship. It's the outgrowth of a loving, intimate relationship. Look down to chapter 5, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice with the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you be captivated by her love. And so you have here this idea that sex is not something in a vacuum. Sex is something that comes from a strong, positive relationship. Uh, he, vo- he says in verse 17, let it be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. Here's the thing. Sex is not intimacy. Sex is the outgrowth of intimacy. Sex comes from the love and the commitment that you have to the person that you are married to. And it is not intimacy in and of itself. So it's not something you easily share with someone else. It is, it is something that I love you. I'm committed to you. I care for you. And as a byproduct of the love and the care that I have for you, sex is a byproduct of that. It's not intimacy in and of itself. And so the life that we share together, the, the dreams that we share, the, the children that we have, the way that we built a life together, the, the moments that we share with one another, those are the things where intimacy comes from. And sex is simply an outgrowth of that intimacy, not the intimacy itself. And we confuse the two often today. Sometimes we think of sex as intimacy. That, that is the intimacy. So I'll be grumpy and rude and do nothing. And then I think our intimacy is going to come from sex. That's not the way it happens. Uh, it's that the sex is an outgrowth of the love and the commitment that you have for one another. So think about this. I come home. I'm rude to you. Uh, I want to watch my TV shows. I do nothing to clean up or help around the house. I do nothing to help with the kids. And then I say, okay, it's time to be intimate. Too late. You've already lost the intimacy. That was the intimacy. And now you're trying to think somehow by having sex, we're going to become intimate. That's not the case at all. So sex is the outgrowth of a loving, intimate relationship. Now, what is intimacy? Intimacy is where you share something with someone else that you're not readily sharing with anybody else. 
Okay, it's something personal and private. The the conversations that you have, the life that you share, the commitment that you're making, that's the intimacy. The sex is simply an outgrowth of that. That brings us to the second thing that we see also in Proverbs chapter five. And that is this. Sex is a good thing, but it has parameters and a proper place. And that proper place is between one man and one woman in a marriage relationship. Look down to verse 20. Down to verse 20. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all of his paths, and the evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of sin hold him fast. He dies for a lack of discipline. He is led astray by his great folly. Anything in life has rules, regulations, and parameters. I have free speech in the United States of America. Free speech means I can say anything I want and it's protected by the law. But I cannot go into a crowded movie theater and stand up and yell fire. That is no longer free speech. Okay, there is a parameter to it. I have a driver's license to get in a car and drive legally in the United States of America. And yet if I drive on the wrong side of the road or if I exceed exceed the speed limit, I'm going to get a ticket, get my driver's license taken away and maybe put in jail. There are parameters to everything. And the same thing is true of sex. God said sex is a good thing, but it has a proper place. And the proper place is in a committed marital relationship where the couple is involved in loving intimacy that leads up to it in the first place. So those are the parameters God has. And he puts those parameters in place for a very good reason. If you're not committed to one another, if you're not truly in love, if you're not intimate with one another, what happens is you are becoming one with that other individual. You cannot become one with several different people. You are becoming, you have committed yourself in a lifelong relationship, becoming one with another. And that is the proper place and the proper parameters. The problem is when we break those parameters and go outside of that. And anytime you do that, there's generally pretty bad consequences. Adultery, that's a pretty bad consequence where you said, all I'm going to do is think about myself. I'm going to have sex with someone that I'm not married to, even while I've committed myself to another. And when you do that, it breaks down all the bonds of love, trust, and intimacy that your relationship was built on in the first place. So there's nothing but disastrous results that come from that. What about having sex as a single person? Well, I'll just have sex. You know, I'm not married. I'll just have sex whatever I want. What you have done there is saying, I'm leaving the confines of love, intimacy, and oneness, and I'm simply trying to fulfill my needs. Therefore, that is not what God intended for it to be. That is an abuse of what God intended for it to be. What about cohabitating? I'll just live with somebody for a while. 41% of couples in the United States are, are cohabitating, just living together today. So what, what's wrong with that? Again, it's not based on the commitment that you have. Did you know couples that cohabitate are eight times, eight times more likely to break up than those who don't? Now, the answer back to that is this. Well, but that's good because they were just testing to see if they should get married and they found out they shouldn't. So what happens if cohabitating couples do get married? They are three times more likely to get divorced than, than a regular couple. Three times more likely. Why? Very simple. You never went into the relationship with commitment. 
You were always trying to, well, we'll do this and see if I want to commit to you. And because there was never true commitment, there was never the possibility for you to come together as you should. So sex has a proper place and it's in a marriage relationship. It brings us to the third thing that we see. The third thing. This is over in 1 Corinthians. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And that is this. Sex is for you to fulfill and to please the other person. It's not about you. It's about them. We're going to read one of the most misunderstood passages in the entire scripture here. It's one that men often like but take out of context. So if you're a man, just highlight it. You can take it out of context later. First Corinthians seven, verse three, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. And likewise, the wife to her husband's, the wife's body does not belong to her any longer, but to her husband. And in the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him, but it belongs to his wife. What in the world does that mean? Well, let me tell you in a very simple way what that means. Sex is the outgrowth of a loving, intimate relationship. When you have sex, your goal is for you to care for and love and fulfill the other person, not for you to be cared for, loved and fulfilled. So that's where it comes. You are trying to care and love the other person. They're trying to care and love you. And together, both of your needs are met. Make sense? So that's what this is simply trying to tell us. It's no longer about me. It's no longer about what I want. It's about me loving you. It's about me sharing with you. It's about me trying to fulfill you and you trying to do the same to me. Now, it's easy (coughs) to see where that gets sidetracked. It gets sidetracked when it becomes about us and not about the other person. It's simply about me wanting my needs met. It's simply about what I want and what's going on with me. And you need to be doing something for me. That means it leaves the relationship and it doesn't center on you any longer. And so when it becomes centered on you, that's where we get all the problems that we have. Where does pornography come from? Pornography comes from the fact that we've made sex something that we just have to fulfill ourselves. And it has nothing to do with the other person. Did you know that pornography is a $13 billion industry in the United States? And a $27 billion industry in China. I didn't even know they had that kind of money in China. But $27 billion industry in China. There are 4.2 million pornographic websites. And at this very second, every second of the day, 116,000 people are searching for pornography on the Internet. And 43% of them are 13 years old or younger. So that's pornography where we have made it all about us and not about fulfilling and loving relationship that we're supposed to have with another person. Anybody see this week, Louisville was named one of the top 10 sin cities in the United States. Yeah, I think we were number six as the top uh, number six sin city in all of the United States. We were one above Las Vegas. So that's pretty good. Scarlet Hope Industry tells us this. There are 27 strip clubs in Louisville, 5,000 women in the entertainment industry, adult entertainment industry. So you say, okay, sex is just about me. It's just about fulfilling what I want. So I'm going to go to a strip joint. Who's that hurt? 
And so you go into that strip joint, and then what you find is something entirely different. Did you know 73% of women that are in adult entertainment clubs were sexually abused as minors? 73%. They are struggling. When when women get out of the industry, many of them have post-traumatic stress disorder that is at the same level of a soldier in combat. But it's just all innocent, and it's not hurting anybody, is it? And so you see what happens when sex becomes something that's about you and your desires instead of about a loving relationship where you're trying to fulfill the other person. And that brings us to the last one that we see. Sex ultimately is an expression of love and oneness under God. Look down to verse 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So what is any of that again talking about just as in the other expressions? Well, what we're trying to, what it's trying to say is this. Sex is not an entitlement and it's not a reward. It's an outgrowth of your loving relationship that you were supposed to have. So where it goes wrong is when you treat sex as an entitlement. We're married. We're supposed to have sex. You're supposed to do it. That's just the way it is. That's seeing sex as an entitlement. Well, let me tell you something. You don't do anything to help around the house. You're not doing anything to care for your spouse. You're not sharing your life with her. Then you have no reason to to, uh, deserve the other because it is an outgrowth of your love. It's not an entitlement. It's an outgrowth of your love and oneness. And the second part is sometimes sex is treated as a reward. You do what I want. uh, You buy me a nice present. You take me a nice dinner, whatever, and then I'll have sex with you. So it's either an entitlement or a reward, but it wasn't supposed to be that. It's supposed to be an outgrowth of a loving, caring, fulfilling relationship. So what have we seen So far, let me summarize very briefly. And that is this. God created and designed human attraction, romance, and sex. Sex is the outgrowth of a loving, intimate relationship. It has boundaries in a proper place. It's supposed to be for you to love and fulfill the other person. And it is the ultimate expression of your oneness under God. And that brings us to the last thing that we see. Used properly and in its proper place, sex is a beautiful, exciting byproduct of loving intimacy. It is a beautiful, loving byproduct of intimacy that's there. How strong is love according to the Bible? I wanted to read you just a couple of verses here. These aren't racy ones, okay? So you don't have to get, you don't have to get nervous there. Listen to Proverbs thirty nineteen. There are three things that are too wonderful for me to understand. And one of the things he says, three things too wonderful for me to understand. And one of those things is the way of men and women when they're in love. Wow, just don't understand it. How crazy people are when they get in love. It's too wonderful. Get that? It's not a mystery that I don't understand. I'm perplexed by. It's so wonderful. I can't understand it. And then Song of Solomon. Again, hold your horses. You're okay here. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. 
Love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love. Floods cannot drown it out. If a man had to buy love, he would sell everything he has to possess it. Wow. That's pretty good. True love is a flame from the Lord. Did you hear that? True love's a flame that comes from God. God invented this thing. And if a man was asked to buy it, he'd sell everything he possessed just to get love. You see, what we believe as Christians, what God set forward is so much higher than the world. The world says sleep with anybody, anywhere, anytime you want and fulfill your needs. And the Bible says love is about two people coming together in a lifelong commitment, sharing life together, sharing intimacy together. And the byproduct of that is sex. It's not the ultimate goal. It just comes from the loving commitment that you're making to somebody for all time. That's so much higher than anything that the world has to offer. Anybody here know who Russell Wilson is? Russell Wilson is the quarterback of the Seattle Mariners, one of the best players in the NFL. Uh, he is dating Sierra. And uh, Sierra is a, is a singer. She's had kind of a checkered past. Uh, uh, you know, she's been pretty wild at times. Uh, she had a, a, a child uh, with, the, with the rapper Future and uh, whatever that means. And... Uh, Here's Russell Wilson and Sierra together. Russell Wilson is a very avowed Christian. He has led Sierra to the Lord. And they have decided that they are going to be celibate because that's what the Bible teaches until they're married. So Sierra recently gave an interview and they said, well, you know, you, you certainly haven't had a past of celibacy. How's that working out for you now? And she said, well, Russell is the best looking man I've ever seen in my life. And there's times that we're just watching TV at night and I say to myself, don't look at him. Just don't look at him. You know, you, you, you can't do that. You know, he's too good looking. Just don't look at him. But then Sierra said this, you know, I've tried lust and sex my entire life. But Russell and I have had conversations and sharing about our future and our goals and our hurts and our needs. And let me tell you, love is so much greater than sex. Now that comes from a singer who's tried it both ways. And she says, man, it just doesn't even compare. We have children growing up in a world without any parameters whatsoever. And the Bible has good things for us. But sometimes we're afraid to tell people or to teach it or to let them know. And so our children grow up with this warped view of sex. I remember when I was in Virginia, the Baptist college ministry at uh, Washington Lee University asked me to come and speak to the kids about sex. And so these were college kids. And so I came and, you know, I talked to them kind of like we're doing here. And when it was over, one of the girls said, could I talk to you for a second? And I said, sure. And so she kind of pulls me in a back room. And I go, what in the world? And, and we go back there and she starts crying. And she said, I grew up in a Baptist church. I went to church every Sunday my entire life. Nobody ever said any of these things to me. And my life would have been so different if they had. 
We don't need to be embarrassed. And we don't need to hide what the Bible teaches. Because it is so much higher and greater than anything the world has for us. And the love that a man and a woman have for one another, it is a very foreshadowing, intentionally planned by God, of the love God has for us. And you come closest to that love and that love that we have for one another, the love that God feels for us. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for the good gift of love and romance that you've given to us. It's not something we should be ashamed to talk about or look at it. The the scriptures are filled with it. And we just sometimes ignore it. Lord, help us to realize that when we model true love, that everything the world has pales and people will run to it. In Jesus' name, amen. hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word. Thank you.